0: It's a peaceful protest. We're walking, raising awareness. Some of the injustice that we've been seeing is not okay. And as a young person, you got to listen to our perspective. Our voices need to be heard.
1: People are going to look back. Our kids are going to look back at this and say, you were a part of that. I got a grandfather that marched next to Dr. King in the 60s. And he
2: was amazing. He would be proud to see us all here. We got to keep pushing forward.
3: Sports are like the reward of a functional society. Sirius XM Sports presents Forward Progress, a weekly open conversation on race and sports in America. Here are your hosts, Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison.
1: Here we are. There you are. So good to be together. It's Kirk Morrison. It's Jason Jackson. A little bit later on the program, we visit with a man formerly known as Chris Jackson. Mahmoud, Abdul, Rauf, a brand new memoir coming out. We'll help him sell a few of those and have a great conversation. And Greg Kelser, former NBA player, now longtime television analyst for the Detroit Pistons, going to swing by, fan of the program, soon to be friend (laughs) of the program. But first, Kirk, we got to go back uh, to the great state of Mississippi. As we know, this, this state audit that came out of $7 million of what is called temporary assistance for needy family funds were diverted from the poorest people in America's poorest state, which is a shame in itself, uh, to rich and power, powerful folks in Mississippi. Six people have been arrested in the case, five of whom have pled guilty uh, to state charges. Brett Favre is involved in this situation as he was uh, at least made clear to him that he could move some of those funds to a volleyball facility project that he was locked in uh, with. And uh, But Favre is not uh, been criminally charged uh, and uh, but he's a defendant in a civil suit filed by the state mm-hmm. so that's a, it's a critical distinction because bars come with one of them uh, they've had a lot of people cooperate Kurt yeah. and shown us really kind of behind the scenes of Favre trying to use his celebrity and power and really friendship um, with state officials to divert this money. It's, it's when you think about how much he's made and what he can continue to make, uh, it, one fundraiser that he could raise, <laughs> it, it goes beyond, you know, just the idea of the types of funds that was trying to be siphoned off to the fact that he didn't really need them. Like, and so Brett's now saying he did nothing wrong, uh, that he's been quote unquote smeared in the media in response to his involvement uh, in this case. And, um, he thinks it's unjust your thoughts about his thoughts. Well, he finally said
3: something, first of all, yeah. and I can't even say he said something. He sent a, uh, a statement to Fox news digital. So that's, uh, that tells me a little more right there. Mm. Um, if this is something that you feel is a smear or a wrongdoing, I think I would adamantly put myself on a television screen and say, Hey, um i didn't do this uh this is not right uh you guys don't well, here are the back
1: here are the reasons yes it, these are why, the reasons why, why. myself embroiled
3: in. this. correct arrest, right he didn't do that he decided to i'll write a statement and let them read the statement and that's all i'm going to say um i didn't like that approach i think this is serious and i think the one of the, the serious um situations that we put ourselves in jacks is that people say well this isn't a football story this isn't a sports story and I said it is this is this rightfully is because we know Brett Favre for one reason alone was what he did on the football field this is a sports story and he is not a politician he is not but yet he found himself in a situation that involves politics but it also involves sports because of how he rose as a champion as uh, a celebrity. So we this does involved because it looks like someone who's trying to use his celebrity to be above the law, to be above everyone else and to take from someone else. So this statement doesn't really do anything for me at all. It just you basically came out to say what everybody says. I'm not guilty. <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. But yet we've seen some evidence so far that really supports that there was wrongdoing that occurred when it comes to funds in the state of Mississippi toward a, toward a, a I would say a fund for you or something that you wanted to help get built. Yeah. That's not for you personally.
1: Yeah. 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 Not now personally. He says, Kirk, yeah. Now, so you're saying the style or the content? Cause he's saying no one ever told me and I didn't know. The funds designated for welfare recipients were going to the university for me. So I tried to help my alma mater, University of Southern Mississippi, a public Mississippi State University, raise funds for a wellness center. My goal was and always will be to improve the athletic facilities at my university. Mm. So
3: he's saying that he didn't know where the money was coming from, but yet text messages say that Hey, this is kind of maybe illegal, (laughs) right? What we're doing may not be the best way to do this. And yet I think he still went forward. And I believe Jax, he paid money back too. I believe in a situation part of it. So to me, there was something, there's something there. And he knows that. And so it's interesting to see how does he handle this situation without putting himself on the camera. I mean, that's what that's what I want to see right now. He's been in the
1: shadows. The pushback from the Mississippi auditor, uh, Shad White says, quote, obviously, Mr. Favre knew that he was being paid in government funds based on the tax. Right. He knew that those funds were coming from the Department of Human Services. He obviously acknowledged that he needed to repay those funds, too. As you noted, Favre Mm -hmm. paid one point one million dollars. Uh, from TAFN, that's the the acronym for the fund, uh, for speeches White said, Favre never made. He eventually (laughs) paid the money back, but the state is suing him for interest of a quarter million dollars. (laughs) They're going to get their money. They're
3: going to get it back. They're trying Mm. to get a little something and some. But this is just a, a, a story that continues. It's got a lot more legs to it. I'm glad that we have a national presence now following it before. And we've heard about this for at least, what, say about two or three years or longer. Mm-hmm. So we've known this has gone on for a while, but it was, odds, oh, it's Brett Favre. Don't worry about it. No, it's down in Mississippi. Don't affect us. And now you realize that it maybe not affected us, but it affected some people who really, really needed funds, who really, really needed the assistance. It affected people that that we don't know, but yet we should know because once it affects them, it affects all of us. So I think that I'm happy now that we have more attention on this story and we can get more, dig more into what's going on. You mentioned some indictments already. I think it's just 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 the beginning of where this is going.
1: me to see if uh, the state will be satisfied with just civil uh, restitution right. uh, or if it'll find its way into the, the very challenging criminal space or not. Uh, you know we will keep an eye on it. We need you to take our first break when we come back. In the Bleak of an Eye, it's a memoir by Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, uh, the former Chris Jackson. Uh, kind enough to spend some time talking to us about his life and the memoir coming up available soon this month of October. Stay right there. Forward Progress continues. <laughs>
3: You're listening to Forward Progress on SiriusXM Radio.
1: Forward Progress continues. It's Morrison. It's Jackson. It's our pleasure to have Mahmoud abdul Rahu with us on the program as he has a memoir coming out in the blink of an eye. And uh, Mahmoud, first of all, welcome to Forward Progress. And it's good to see you, first of all. Let me just <laughs> say that. It.
2: It's better to see you. Better to be seen and not viewed, as they say right now. <laughs> Come on, man. Lay, <laughs> it right. down. Lay
1: it down. Now, every time we have an author on, I talk about my, my personal envy of the task that it takes, first of all, to lay it all down, mm-hmm. and then, I'm sure you learned this in, in the publishing process, in the competitive nature of literature, what makes it so important is your transparency, therefore opening up everything about you uh, to share in a memoir. Was it a, was it something that was churning in you or did you have to be convinced that this is a story that needed to be told?
2: It was more so something that was, uh, that was inside of me. Mm. Uh, mm. You know, I believe we all have stories, obviously. And, yeah. and, and everybody's story is compelling in its own way. And, uh, you know, through my experience of traveling and, 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 and of course sharing my story, just the feedback that I was getting also, uh, from numerous people was a major influence, but it was something that I just felt a need to do um, because you never know you know how your story can impact someone uh, and benefit them and, and, and listen, I'm, I'm a Muslim and there's a concept called southern kajaria, and so leaving a book behind and even if you're dead and gone and you've gone for 50 or 100 years if someone is still benefiting from that, you still get, getting blessings while you're in your grave. So okay. for me that's a huge plus to, to finish the project as well. You know, one
3: of the things I feel like when you do sit down and you write a book, you you have to go back to a time in your life in which sometimes you want to forget about. So you have to sort of relive that moment and kind of tell it from the perspective of back then, but also the reality of where you're at now. How did you do that in terms of going back to a place that maybe you may not want to, if you, you wanted to forget, but you knew like, I have to get back to that place in order to tell this story?
2: You know, it's tough, man. That's a great question. Um, it's, it's definitely a process. It's, it's therapy. It's, it's heart wrenching, man. It's, I mean, there are moments, there's so many emotions, you know, there are moments where you laugh, there's a moment when you're crying there, there are times when you just didn't realize that that issue was that, that real to you, you know, as you begin to tell your story. Uh, um, but uh, again, too, we, many of us don't grow up with this, this concept, and I didn't, of keeping, keeping a journal. So there's so Mm, much you forget. Mm. And so you have to keep talking to people and you have to have people that can engage you and ask the right type of questions in different ways over and over again. Um, because sometimes it's that fifth or sixth question that, Oh, I forgot about that right (laughs) there, you know? And, uh, but it's, man, it's a, it's a strenuous process strenuous process and and you will never really remember everything right and and you can't put let's face it there are some stories that kind of that parallel with each other and you don't want to drown people out with the same type of stories either so the transition is highly important how you go from one issue to a next and transition it there's just so much to consider so you know and, and had a good team to be able to help put that together
1: you're listening to Forward Progress, former NBA star Mahmoud Abdul-Roof with us here on the program. As you were pinning uh, in the blink of an eye, give us two things here. The story that you wanted to tell, the one that you wanted to flow out in its full perspective from, from the author, and then a story that maybe emerged that you were surprised you were able to get to the final cut.
2: Uh Wow. <laughs> that's a, that that's a, the story that I wanted to tell and the story that eventually emerged. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think I, I wanted to tell it all, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh but but there were some things, you know, uh my childhood, anytime I talk about my mother, my mother's past. You know, and there were some things that I began to find out later in terms of, you know, sometimes parents don't tell you how deep the struggle was with them and how much they struggled. Right. And then you find out stuff as you're going through it, like, wow, uh, man, I didn't know she did all of that, you know, taking those long 10 mile walks to just find a job, mm-hmm. you know, and, and on her last dime and day in and day out. And then finally, you know, she don't know what to do. And she called the last person, it's time to go. She fakes it like she's putting a, a quarter in the phone because she don't know what she's gonna do at that moment. And at that moment, the lady behind the desk said, Miss uh, such and such, I see you here every day. You don't say a word. Uh, you really want this job, don't you? She said, yes, ma'am. And at, at that moment she got the job, but you know, just thinking about all of those tricks you know, up from Gulfport to Biloxi and just so many other things, you know, just not knowing my father. And out of all the children, I'm the one that doesn't know him. And you, you, there's so many, so many in the absence of information, there's just so many questions you have, especially coming out of Mississippi, during that time, black, and it, I knew he was white. And so you questions, was he an influential guy? Was she threatened? Was she raped? Was she so, you know, th- those are a lot of things that that we 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 try to uncover and deal with as well.
3: You know, Mahmoud. One thing that me and Jacks, when we get a chance to talk with authors, uh, one of the questions I always like to present is the the name of the book in the blink of an eye. How, how did you come up with that name? What what brought you to that name? In terms of so many different choices, so many things you can probably go with, but in the blink of an eye was kind of derived from what.
2: Look, that look that that was that was the team sometimes somebody else come up with way better ideas than you did. <laughs> uh, But but when they when they when they presented that to me it resonated immediately you know uh, uh, in the blink of an eye is you know i think about if you're looking at the game of basketball right i was known to have a quick release yeah right? uh as they say had trigger whatever, get it off against pretty much anybody. Um, but also life itself man you know we we talk about how man time goes by relatively fast when you think about it right and things could change just like that yeah. you look at my career you know all of these years spent building and and and, and developing a career in just one little thing
0: yeah.
2: right taking a position could change the dynamics of everything so it, it it kind of dealt with you know pretty much it it summed it up for me yeah it summed it up for me and we had to go with it. There was nothing else.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Mahmoud, Abdul Raouf for the on forward progress. For, for those younger listeners, let, let's get them to exactly what was the crossroads for you in your career. And uh, first of all, obviously, it would be your conversion to Islam. But then standing up for those principles, and specifically in the NBA, um, praying instead of standing and saluting the flag during the playing of the national anthem. We spend a lot of time, and I feel like too much time, reasserting and clearing up, even in this yeah. age, for the Kaepernick protest. exactly what was being protested. Uh, because it can, obviously, from those who see it from a different angle, they want to convert it for whatever their narrative is. What were you conveying?
2: You know, I began to... Uh, I was never big on school, right? I was never big on reading a lot. Uh, and once I became a Muslim, reading for me became a major, major interest for me. Uh, so I'm, you know, in my travels in the NBA, I'm introduced, you know, a lot of people would come to, to the hotels and, and greet greet me and I'm a people's person. So I would, I would meet them and we would have conversations and make a long story short through all of these conversations, they would share ideas with me. Uh, they would introduce me to authors that I'd never known about. I began mm-hmm. to visit bookstores religiously. So I'm coming across authors, man, whether it's, the, you know, uh, Randall Robinson's, uh, whether it's the Kawanja Kunjufu's, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, all of these are the, the Noam Chomsky's, the Howard Zinn's, and I'm reading stuff, and I'm like, wow, I didn't know this much was going on historically. Like America has its hand in so much, you know, terror and abuse. I mean, I'm, and these are just my words, and these are academics. This is right. you know, this is not just me. These are well-renowned academics bringing all of this information out. And so I developed a conscience uh, about that. And growing up, man, I grew up in, look, I grew up in Mississippi and uh, I grew up, I know what it feels like to be poor. I know what it feels like to be somewhat invisible, you know, in society as a a young Black boy. And uh, it never feels good. And so going through that experience and I'm reading about all of these things, my protest was merely just, look, man, I'm against. You know, you you have a symbol and this symbol, yes, depends on who you are. If you ask many white people and other people, they may say, oh, this is a land of freedom. It's a land of justice, right? But, but from a lot of black people's perspective, it, we don't see it that way, you know? And I'm not saying all, but a lot of us don't see it that way. You look at the history of it, and then not just historically, but contemporarily when you see what's what's going down. So I'm like, you know what? I don't, I can't see myself standing for a symbol that I I feel represent those things to me. And and so it wasn't necessarily about uh racial inequality and police brutality. That too. It was okay. it was more global as well as domestic. Wherever it occurs, if you got your hands in it, you know, this country has been. 90-something percent of his existence has been at war. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm like, ah, you know, I'm not down with that. And this is what I was protesting. And I still do it to this day. You know, nothing has changed. Yeah. And just briefly, without getting into so many other details, briefly, that's the that's the protest.
1: Where did you first get conversation of Mahmoud, this is something we got to do differently. Did it come from the team, or did it come from the league? Did you hear from the commissioner? How did it all roll out? When you say "got to do differently," what do you mean? Like, I'm sure there had to be one conversation because it's in the operations manual. Oh, the players must stand for the anthem.
2: <laughs> actually, and so
1: at least it is now. Let me put it that there
2: way. There you so, go. There you go. Yeah,
1: yes. Yeah. Go
2: actually, ahead. we we got a the agent that I had at the time called Sharif Nasir out of uh, mm-hmm. the Bay Area. He had ended up calling Rod Thorn. Rod Thorne, I believe, was the guy that was over finding people. He knew sure. the rule book. He, right. he didn't want to find. He wanted to find me a thousand dollars a sock because I would roll my socks down and the NBA emblem wasn't shown. So mm-hmm. he was the guy that knows. So Sharif calls him. He says, "Hey, we were getting calls because Bernie had approached me. Well, actually, Todd Ely, the assistant GM, had approached me, uh, saying someone has noticed that you haven't been standing." Do you want to talk? I say, sure, no problem. I'll talk to anybody. You know, if I got if I feel I have something to say. So I think Bernie was trying to prevent maybe something blowing up. I don't know. Only God knows. However, uh, he calls uh Rod Thorne. Rod Thorne tells him, as far as I know, Sharif, there's no rule in the NBA that says you gotta stand. <laughs> He said, really? I said, okay. So now I get it, it it blows up. This reporter gets it. He uh I come to the gym. We're playing Shaquille that day uh in Denver. The reporters came and they just, I mean, they 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 swarmed the the the, the shoot around. And I say what I had to say. I'm coming back for the game that night. Jim Gillen tells me Bernie wants to see you down the hall. It's okay. And the players are looking at me with this little slight, these sly looks like you know, something's wrong. So I go down, and Bernie, as soon as I walk in, he say, the NBA called, and they're threatening to suspend you if you don't stand. What do you say? say, can't do it. I won't do it. He says, well, they want to get on the phone. Would you talk to you?" I say, okay, no problem. And so two people from the NBA, I don't know who it is. I still wish I could remember who it was, but uh, they ended up trying to convince me, and they identified themselves as Jewish. And they said, they gave me an example at the time of why they would stand. And after they finished, I was respectful. I said, listen, I appreciate you sharing that with me. Uh, I hear what you're saying. I said, but I'm not Jewish. That example don't apply to me. And I said, so my position is I'm not standing. And I said, so, you know, do what you gotta do. They said, okay, no problem. They got off the phone. I'm so naive, right? I've never been suspended for anything in my life. I'm thinking that there's going to be this act of legislation that takes place, you know. And I said, "Well, look, man, can I go back to the to the locker room, and get my stuff on, so I can get ready for the game?" He says, "No." I said, "What?" I said, "You talk. I'm suspended now." He said, "Yeah." I was okay. I said, "Well, look, can I get dressed and go and sit in the stands to support the team?" He says, "No, they don't want you on the premises at all." I said, have a good one. And then that's when I went back to the locker room, got my stuff, told the guys, have a good one. And I walked out. And I remember watching the game that night, Dale Ellis, because we've been talking on the plane constantly, you know, share information. And that was my my right hand dude on all pretty much all the flights. He had when the team was facing this way, he had literally turned his body and protest the opposite way. And like, baby, this is ridiculous. But that's that's basically how it happened. And then the next year. Coming to Sacramento is when I see it in big, bold letters, you know, the obligation to stand for the flag.
3: (laughs) You know, while all this is going on, who who was your biggest ally? Who, Who was the one that you could talk to or go through? Because I know a lot of guys at that time are not only scared, not understanding, maybe want to move away from it because they don't know how to handle it. So I saw that with Colin Kaepernick. Yeah. Where guys wanted to help, they wanted to be a part of, but at the same time, they didn't want to, you know, hurt their own career or they had the same beliefs as you, but they didn't want the backlash that you were enduring. So, who was an ally that you entrusted or talked with that helped you out throughout this process, too?
2: You know, man, I was fortunate. I, I just, I, it's hard to choose like your top ally. I had a lot of them, um, you know, and a lot of these people, of course. You know they're not big names and household names but muhammad al asi who's been a mentor to me he's a scholar um uh, you know uh in islam and 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 just just very very wise and deep deep uh a brother salahuddin uh uh bilal mustafa sharif nasir but also just you know my teammates man were very supportive you know even Jalen rose you know even to this day always been supportive been a, you know, logic, you know, most logically thinking uh, brother, um, Dale Ellis, you know, right hand guy. Um, But my teammates know me, you know, uh, and there was always this push it seemed to assassinate my character to make it seem like I'm this troublemaker. Right. right? And that's just not my personality. Uh, And we would have dialogue. We would share things on the plane, on the bus. We would debate, you know, even comparative religion, Christianity, Islam. Uh, we talk about politics. I'd give Dale this book called uh, "Behold, uh, Behold a Pale Horse." <laughs> right? He'd read it. We dialogue. This is just what was happening. So um, it was it was disturbing to see the attack. But those are some of the people and and many more that I would constantly engage with uh, about information and and to stay grounded and 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 to stay the state of course. Uh, and for me, that was important because for so long we are constantly convinced away from what we believe in, and and what we feel is important. And I said, you know what, man, I'm I'm just gonna have to live and die with this one. I got I gotta follow my gut, and my heart, and if it, it costs me millions, if it costs me my life, so be it. We all gotta die. None of us gonna make it out of here alive, anyway. <laughs> you know, so I wanna go out on my own terms, and and I've been, you know, it's been my mission to do that ever since those moments of you know, reawakening, so to speak. I'm constantly trying because so much damage has been done. You know, I look at my miseducation growing up. Mm -hmm. I was misinformed and you don't change. No habits are broken overnight. You don't. All of that damage takes years. There's no way that I could make up for the information that was lost. Those seconds that I could have gotten that early on and it could have changed the way I saw myself and 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 the, the direction that I took early on are lost. Only thing I can do now is start from that moment and try to to build on it. And so but it takes time. So many bad habits were created, you know, not be, you know, critical thinking skills not developed. You know what I mean? So much mm-hmm. you got to work through. it. And I said, "You know what? Whether it sounds, whether whether what I'm saying makes sense or not, if it makes sense to me, if it's yeah. something that I believe, if you can influence me and make it make sense, as a human being, we have to go with what we think makes sense, and that's just been my policy from day. And if you can, if you can convince me, I don't have the. T- I don't, I'm not arrogant. I don't have that pride that I'm still gonna say you don't know what you're I'm be like, you know what? I submit. I surrender. <laughs> that made sense. We. Can- but if you don't, nothing you can tell me. You, you can talk about me. You can call me names. It's got to make sense to me. Oh, I can't go with it.
1: Yeah. yeah. Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf with us here on the program. The memoir is In the Blink of an Eye, available October 18th. I'm going to ask you a question that feels trivial, but I don't know the answer, so I'm going to ask it. <laughs> Where does basketball fit at all, if at all, in your life at this stage?
2: Man, I love basketball. Um, I love where it's taken me. You know, um, if it wasn't for basketball, basketball is a part of that that journey. You know, I wouldn't have gone to LSU. Uh, it's possible I wouldn't have. Coach Brown would have never given me the autobiography of Malcolm. I wouldn't have gone to Denver where I met a, a, a pastor while I was going through my struggle of trying to find out who I was and what I wanted to follow and then meet this young dude from a New York name, Mark James, who Islam came up in conversation, and made me go get the Quran. So basketball, and then the travels, learning different cultures and how they think and how they, you know, how they navigate through society. Without basketball, those things, it could be safe to say, would have never happened. Even now, uh, I love it. I love the competitiveness. I love the creativity. And I think everything we do in like basketball, just like any sport, but since we're talking about basketball, the, the things that we learn in the sport of basketball, and it sounds cliche, but I just believe it. We can take those same traits and become great in other things, time management, creativity, networking, you know what I mean? Being consistent, um, uh, strategy. I mean, there's and just a, a laundry list of qualities. So, Man, I love it. And then also it allows me to be able to give back to to younger generation, right? Use basketball as a tool. So the game itself I love because of all of that, the conditioning, the creativity, watch. I still love the way the ball bounces and I'm still trying to get it all net. I'm still trying to like, I don't care who I play against. Even the guys I train, I'm 53 and they're younger. I'm trying to give it to them. You know what I mean? Until I can't give it to them no more. So I love it from that that aspect, but also just the, the things that it teaches me uh, outside of that and being able to surround myself around people and have other conversations outside of the game that I think when you – that intersectionality, bring it all together and then bring a balance to it. So I love it. You
1: still watch a bunch of NBA I do, games? I or? don't
2: I don't watch it as much, uh-huh. but I do watch it. Uh, I, I'm, I'm one of those. If I'm watching it and it's not super competitive, mm. I'm gone. Right. But if it's mm. if it's competitive, it's a, if it's a close game, they're going at each other. You can keep my attention a little bit longer.
3: <laughs> Look, Mahmood, I'm a uh, I'm a Warriors fan, so I'm just going to throw it out there right now. But I <laughs> I, I, I've had a I've had a chance to watch the, the greatness of Steph Curry and his rise uh, in the NBA. And a lot of people don't realize. Like, I actually saw that before. No. He just wasn't allowed to do what <laughs> Steph was doing. And I'm saying that was my mood, Abdul Rauf. Yeah, he man. was doing that. He just had to kick it down to the bigs a little bit because this was a big man league. But you of- weren't yeah, a <laughs> lot. But you weren't afraid to take those shots that people are seeing now that are more accepted. And so, my, my question for you is. I I can only imagine if you were in today's NBA, the kind of player that you would be. And I'm envisioning Dame Lillard. I'm envisioning Steph Curry. I'm envisioning guys who I think that you actually set the path for. When you look at today's game, how do you think you would have fared in today's game?
2: Man, that's, that's, okay. Since you use the word think, (laughs) you know, uh, you know what? When I look at, I, I think it would have been exciting. Uh, wow. I, I think uh, I would have definitely got way more attempts. Not that I couldn't have gotten those attempts then, but it was just a different game. You know, you were expected to, to give it to the big man. Now, man, guys, some teams don't even have a green light. Like uh, Golden State have a fluorescent light. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so when, when you have that type of – like literally when you have that type of offense – and you don't have people over your shoulder, and even when you do, you still have to go and you you have to go get your freedom, right? Yeah. Uh, You can't wait for it. However, when you don't have people over your shoulders, don't take that, don't take that, the goal now looks like this. Any any score and shooter tell you that, the goal is no longer the regular size, now the goal looks like this. And so I definitely, oh my goodness. And, and you can't really touch them the way you could back then with that face-up hand checking. So that's another dynamic that makes it easier. You know, anytime you have resistance, the resistance is going to make something harder. You know, and not to take away from these guys, because they are just, man, they're phenomenal. Uh, they're athletic. I mean, they're taking advantage of the, the, the way the game has changed. And rightfully so, they should. And so I, I love to watch it, but I think I would have, yeah, it would have been exciting to see. I think I would have did well. Let me just
3: put it that way. Well, I do got one gripe with you. All right. My last gripe with you is that you play with the big Shaquille, man, the big Shaq. And I'm saying, Mahmoud, you are a 90% career free throw shooter and you couldn't help out the big <laughs> man at all, brother. Oh, you go!
2: Oh, you going down there.
3: <laughs> uh, you shot 90% for your career from the line, man. And then you couldn't help Shaq
2: at, at all. Yeah, but but there's another side to that. A person also have to want it. Yeah, yeah. I got you. I'm, look, I'm, look, I'm that. I look. I don't. I'm. I, I'm a giver, so right. I don't mind, man. You know, if I got time, look, let's do it. Let's work on right. It. But I'm not going to also. I'm not going to beg, or I'm not going to push it too far.
3: Right.
2: I mean, we know what we need to work on. Right. Right. <laughs> so I kind of leave it up. Hey, man. Yeah. But look, that's amazing in and of itself, though. I mean, you don't have free throws. You don't have a mid-range, but still you're in the Hall of Fame dominated. Unreal. Imagine yeah. if he would have had that. It would have given him longevity in his career. You don't have to bang as hard. You can take the jump. Exactly. Yeah. They're not going to foul you as much because you can hit the free throws. Oh, It would be ridiculous.
1: <laughs> the memoir from Kaepernick Publishing is in the blink of an eye, available October 18th. Mahmoud, Hadul, Raouf, thank you so much for the time. We appreciate you spending it with us.
2: Thank you even more, man.
1: Much appreciate better. it. Thank you. As forward progress continues, we visit with Pistons analyst Greg Kelser. He made it very clear to me when we uh, ran into each other at uh, the NBA meetings that he loves this program. If you love it, it's time to come on it. We'll spend mm-hmm. some time with you when we come back. You're listening to Sirius XM Radio. Radio.
0: We now return to Forward Progress.
1: Here's Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. Thanks for rolling with us all the way through Forward Progress. It's a pleasure now to have one of my NBA broadcast brethren, <laughs> former NBA player, current TV analyst for the Pistons, Greg Kelser. Greg, I'm going to be very clear with everybody we saw each other at the nba broadcast meetings a wonderful gathering for the first time in three years gathering all the teams broadcasters and national broadcasters from around the nba uh in uh just outside new york and jersey city and greg was great enough kirk to let me know not only does he listen to the show that he enjoys the listen you know (laughs) it's one thing just to put it on and hear it uh but to have this uh this confluence of equity and gender and race and sports uh as at least struck a tone with you Greg and I appreciate you joining us and sharing with me that you appreciate the show exists
0: well I think what you do is important extremely important I think increasing awareness and and just making people understand that you know while we do admit there has been progress uh over the years over the decades um uh, there's been a lot of great sacrifice on a lot of people's part so that we can uh, enjoy the lives that we might have today. But it is so important to, to also uh, do things like you're doing just to let people know that there's still so much to do. There's still so much yet to be done, such a distance that still has to be uh, traveled. And, and uh, I think your show uh, captures that beautifully. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I listen as much as I can. And uh, when I saw you in uh, in New Jersey, I said, hey, you know, I I, I want to sit down and, and just share with him that I'd love to come on if uh, if you ever need me just to, to continue that whole idea of awareness increase.
3: Yeah, always, Greg. And I think one of our biggest things that we do here is that we have this conversation ongoing where people make, you know, the 24-hour news cycle that we know about, right? People talk about it, read it, and it's moved on. But now I feel like with the NBA, especially it's it's you know about to start right now, coming up, you know, season openers are coming up. And a lot of these conversations will now start to come back up. How does the NBA, or how have you seen the NBA, try to make sure that we continue to have some of these meaningful conversations about race and sports? Because I feel like once the games come back on, Greg, we, people tend to forget about it.
0: Well, you know, I have to really tip my hat to the NBA first of all. Uh the league seemed to get it early. Uh unlike maybe some of the other leagues who were later coming to the game or coming to the uh to the to the uh uh you know, to the necessary understanding and maybe acceptance that that this is an issue and one that needs to can't, you know, you can't sweep it under the rug. Uh you know, the NBA was not um uh, penalizing its players for their peaceful protests, uh, you know, for the demonstrations before games and such. It's almost like they almost encouraged it. And and I thought that was very good. So it it showed, um, you know, you look at what happened in the NFL. I mean, that was a horrible uh, situation. And the only thing that changed that was the tragic death of George Floyd, where a lot of people said, oh my goodness, I didn't know that existed. They almost had to see it to uh, believe it. But, you know, it's here and it's been around forever. We know that. So I think the NBA is doing a great job. Uh, I like it when they, you know, they hold certain nights and, you know, wear, wear certain uniforms and, and uh, wear certain uniforms and, and, uh, you know, have different events on, on game nights, Uh, all as, you know, and the players all seem to be into it too. The players seem to to understand the responsibility and the platforms that they, uh, that they have to, um, to uh, uh, make a difference. So uh, I think the NBA is on the right path, they, and they have been for,
1: for some time. Former NBA player, current analyst for the Pistons, Greg Kelser with us here on Forward Progress. On the player side of things, you come into the league in, in 79, and you still have a, a great number of those individuals that were advocates for change that are still in the league. I think it's fair to say because of how the economics changed, there might have been an ebb and flow in intensity of maybe empowerment, but not necessarily inclusion in the struggle, but the struggle changed. And so when you have an elevation of economics and opportunity, uh, there is a desire, as we saw with Michael Jordan, he was very open about it, uh, that he had a whole bunch of shoes to move and he wasn't necessarily trying to make the type of waves that maybe those stars before him made and then the ones that are now are willing to make, what's your view of how that particular dynamic, player empowerment, has changed as you've been around this league? Well, I think
0: times have changed. I I, I think attitudes have changed. And again, I I have to highlight the NBA. NBA wasn't always up on this either now. I mean, you remember when uh, uh, Mahmoud uh, 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 Raouf Mm-hmm. Mahmoud Abdul.
1: Abdul, Abdul Roof, Mahmoud. Yeah, he was on the yeah. program earlier today, a matter of fact. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah, when, when he did it, I remember, you know, him being tormented for, you know, the things that he felt and his expressions. Uh, not long after that, the same thing happened with Craig Hodges. Uh, you know, these were players that were still very, very good, very capable, who ended up losing their losing their, their positions on their teams, their, uh, their positions in the league because they had the courage to speak out and, and stand up. Um, so, you know, that was, this, that was the, the climate back then. And, and, and in Michael Jordan's case, uh, he probably could have said anything he wanted. He had a talent, you know, he didn't feel that way inside. I do think that it is a certain calling. And, you know, not everybody is gonna be Muhammad Ali and Bill Russell and Jackie Robinson uh and some of those great uh contributors to the uh to the struggle and to the movement. But I'm I so appreciative that we're starting to see more and more of our young people uh who are able to uh weigh in on things, engage things far beyond their own immediate uh uh interests. Uh you know, they're making tons of money. It would be so easy to just sit back and, and bask in your own success and, and fortune, but I like the fact that these guys are aware. It was such a different climate 30 years ago when Michael made some of those infamous statements. But I'm just really happy that the players today do understand that it's not all about them. There is a greater cause, and you know, not only are they speaking, it they're even using their, using some of their their own money to, uh, you know, to help make change. And and I, I'm I'm very thankful for that. You know, we, we should never, we should never. Uh, forget the sacrifices and the um, the risks that people like Bill Russell and Muhammad Ali and Jackie Robinson and so on made, so that we can be in the positions that we are today. These folks were risking not just careers back in the '60s when they spoke out, and in the '50s, they were risking their lives.
3: Mm. Well, Greg, I gotta I gotta ask you because uh, I gotta talk about one of your uh, Michigan State University Hall of Fame uh, brethren. Cause the name of the show was forward progress. And so mm-hmm. how do the warriors move forward with the incident that happened between Draymond green and Jordan Poole? when you got two teammates who have a little fisticuffs, uh, a little punch, and now you have a team that has to come together. You played in the NBA, you're an analyst with the, the NBA for a long time. How do, how does a team get past that moment?
0: Well, first of all, I, I I hated to see that, you know, that was disturbing to me. Uh, I understand how tempers can flare and emotions get high, even within a team, in a practice, in training camp. Uh, I get it. But to see what happened on the video, I heard it at first and I'm thinking, okay, um, you know, a, 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 a practice uh, brouhaha. But then when I saw the video, and I'm sure like most people, it changed your impression immediately and you can't get it out of your mind. I've, I feel bad for both guys. I especially feel bad for Draymond Green because, well, I, I feel bad for, for Jordan because he, you know, he's the one that, that suffered the blow. I'm thankful that he's, you know, he didn't have a broken jaw or something like that. But Draymond, it, the, the the lasting impact, the impact on him could be lasting. You know, we we we, we like when our names are mentioned that, You know, people get a certain positive image and, you know, for all that he's done and all that he's accomplished in his career, that might be uh, surpassed now by this. And that would be unfortunate, but he's got to go about the business of helping the Warriors put this thing back together. If He stays there. He's going to have to really, really go over the top in in trying to uh, let this not be the story all season. The Warriors are a very strong organization, obviously with the championship pedigree and they got one of the best players of all time is Steph Curry and, and, um, and Clay Thompson and, and Steve Kerr a terrific show coach. So if anybody can do this, uh, they, they can, but it will take some time to erase uh, what now seems a, an even bigger story than, than you know perhaps them trying to defend their
1: championship. Greg, we are out of time, but we appreciate you swinging by and invite you back anytime. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me, and uh, good luck and keep doing what you guys are doing. Appreciate you. you. That's Greg Kelser, former NBA player, 1979 national champion, by the way, mm-hmm. from uh, from Michigan State, current television analyst for the Pistons. We also thank uh, uh, Mahmoud Abdul-Ru for swinging by and sharing uh, his upcoming memoir with us. That's going to do it for us, for our producer, Pernell Brown. That's my partner, Kirk Morrison. I'm Jason Jackson. We'll talk to you next time here on Forward Progress. Forward Progress is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts.